What's up, church? Good morning. So good to be with you. Natalie and Leah, way to just kill it. Such naturals on the, on the camera. Uh, my name is Matt, and, and I have the privilege of being one of our pastors here at Seacoast. And it's always a privilege just to be able to stand up and to teach and do, uh, teach from God's word uh, with you. So just if, you, if you're here for the first time, I want to just do a special shout out to you. Thank you for just jumping in. I know that I, it can be really weird showing up to a brand new church uh, for the first time. So way to go, way to be here. And we really do hope and uh, we would love to be the church that you call home. Uh, we would love that. So just enjoy yourself today. I'm going to be up here for probably 25, 30 minutes to give you a heads up, and then we're going to partake in communion together. If you're watching from home, you can go ahead and get some uh, elements, some little crackers and juice ready for that as well to join us. Uh, but uh, speaking of calling church home, I do want to announce we've got uh, uh, Amy Mecklenburg has decided to become a member. I don't know if you have a little slide you can throw up there of Amy. Uh, she jumped in and is, is now a member here at Seacoast. And I just want to like really quick uh, on membership. Yeah, we can clap. Yeah, Sabrina, let's get it going. I know that membership is like, what in the world's membership? I know like at Costco, I can be a member there, but what's going on here? Uh, really membership, it's not some extra level of spirituality. It's not we leveled up uh, in God's kingdom. Uh, it really is a chance to say, hey, I'm here and I'm all in. And I want this to be my home. I want to be a part of what God's doing here. And that's just a really cool opportunity to do that. So that's membership. Amy, it's been really fun having her in our life group. And it's just sweet to see her and her daughter, Taya, uh, jump in uh, here at Seacoast. And so uh, let me jump in. Let's just pray as we get going here this morning into our series. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much, God, for being who you are, Lord. Thank you for a brand new day. Lord, your word says that your mercies are new every day. So God, as we wake up this morning, as we, as we came here physically on campus, as we're watching online, Lord, we, uh, we, we can know that we are new in you. God, there's nothing that we have to do to, to work our way up to you, God. We get to just experience the life that you have given. So God, may this morning, may we, be, may we take the posture of receivers. Lord, not achievers, but receivers. And so I, I pray that by your word and your spirit, you would minister to us today in a powerful way, and that we would leave here feeling lighter and freer because of what you have done for us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing on in our series called Bless, Loving Like Jesus in Everyday Life. And we've been looking at really some practical ways that we can live as a blessing to those around us. And uh, we've been looking at different stories of Jesus and the Gospels, and we're going to do that again today. Uh, but as I was thinking about it this week, it really it hit me. When we talk about being a blessing, when we talk about blessing others, really what we're talking about is, is expressing the heart that God has given us. Expressing the heart that God has given us. You see, unfortunately, I would say that in many uh, many people have, the message that they've heard from the church at large is a message of what you ought to be doing, what you should be doing in order to grow, to get better, to be stronger, to get close uh, and clean and get, to get closer to God. It's what you ought to be doing, what you should be doing. And really, that's a, a do-to-be mentality. And you guys, we're not here. We're not a church. The gospel is not a do-to-be message. And we're not here peddling a do this in order to become this message. No, week in, week out, what we want all of us to really to relish and revel in is, is who we are. 
because of what God has done. And so we want you to hear and be reminded week after week after week that this is who you are. This is who you are. I love in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul, he writes, he says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want you to think about that. If, if you're created in Christ Jesus, okay, think about it. If you're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, what does that reveal about who you are? What does that reveal about your heart? You see, God didn't, he didn't save you, redeem you, rescue you, make you a new creation only to give you a bad, dirty heart. He didn't do that. You see, the, 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 it's been said that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. You, you follow that? <laughs> I think I got it right. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And guess what? That problem was dealt with on the cross. And so we have, to, we have to ask the question, what does it look like now living on this side of the cross? See, does God create us in Christ Jesus with a bad heart and then tell us to live good? That, that, that's completely, that's nonsense. And it's, it's, it's frustrating to think about that. I know I'm supposed to live good, but I was given a bad heart. No, I don't think so. I, I, he, the truth is that he gave us a new heart, a good heart, a pure heart, a righteous heart. And then he says to live from that heart. Live from that place. Live consistent with that heart that he has given us. And so here's what this means. That, uh, this, is, this is really important. When we talk about living the Christian life, we're not trying to become, you know, trying and trying and trying and trying to become something that we're not, but we are merely expressing who we already are. And there's a really big difference between the two of those things. Yes, we are learning. Yes, we are growing. Our minds are being renewed for sure, but we're not actually becoming something different than what we already are in Christ. You see, we're a new creation. We're united. We're bonded. We're fused. We are one spirit with the Lord. And until, until you have, until we have revelation, a revelation of our newness and our union, until the Spirit reveals that to our spirit, we are going to live our lives trying and trying and trying to become something that we already are. Until we see how blessed we are, how blessed we are in Christ, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Until we see that, until the Spirit opens our eyes, the eyes of our heart to, to see that, and we're going to be living life, our lives trying to become something that we already are. We're going to Really, we're going to think of the Christian life. We're going to hear about the Christian life. You're going to hear a pastor get up on stage and talk about this life that we're supposed to be doing. Like, let's live lives that bless others. We're going to hear that. And if we don't know who we are, we're going to hear that as duty versus desire. We're going to hear that as a message of, of, uh, one of achievement versus receiving. We're going to hear the Christian life talked about. We're going to interpret it as a message of, of earning versus a life expressed. So we'll live perpetually trying to become something that we already are. And we're going to be just waiting and waiting for that one day. Oh, that one day when we finally, finally are free of that addiction. Finally free of the, of the fear and the struggle. Finally free. I'm finally accepted. Always, it's always way out there. It's always like it's tomorrow. It's next week. It's always down the road a bit. Hear, hear this. This is huge. The enemy does not care if you try to live a holy life, as long as you never realize you actually are holy. You can try all you want. 
Live that holy life. You can live your life. The enemy doesn't care if you live your life uh, believing and waiting for the blessing of God, waiting for him to bless us. As long as you don't see yourself for who you already are, then you are no threat to him. As long as God's blessing, his love, his acceptance, his favor is all just down the road. It's just down the road a little bit. You're no threat to him. But what is the threat to the enemy is when the church of God awakens to this new present tense reality of, of the good news of our identity in Christ. The identity and authority that we have. When we, what is a threat is when we awaken to who we are today. When we awaken to the present tense reality of who we are today. Not, when we, not who we are when we learn more and we get, get more knowledge and information. Not who we are uh, when we finally get free of the addiction, the lust, the fear, the questions, but who we are right now because of what Jesus has done for us, what he's done to us, and who he is in us. And when that happens, the light of the gospel, when the light of the gospel shines in the church, the darkness can't remain. It just can't. When the light shines, the enemy is revealed as a defeated foe. And so today, what we, what we're, this entire series, what we're about, week in, week out, is turning that light on. Turning that light on. And I, thought, I just really wanted to start out by just setting that, just saying that because I get really excited when I think about, man, when, when our lives become, when that light comes on and we become gripped by what God in Christ has done for us, when we realize how blessed we already are, man, what does that look like when we start to live that life and express that life in our, in our world, in our city, in our neighborhoods? It gets me excited to think about when, when the church, when we awaken to the reality of who we are today, then that, that really fuels us. It frees us and it fuels us to live as an expression of God's love to the world around. And so what we've been covering in the, the series is just some really, really practical, practical ways that this life can be expressed. Uh, over the last few weeks, Ryan, he's been unpacking this acronym, BLESS. You know, we started with begin with prayer. Talked about the importance of prayer and beginning with prayer. We talked about listening. Isn't it amazing just to, when someone listens to you? You guys are doing such a good job of listening to me. I feel very loved right now. <laughs> I feel validated. Thank you. It's amazing. Listening is such a gift and in short supply these days. And today we're looking at the E. So are you eager to know what the E is? I had to say that. Sorry. Uh, we are talking today about blessing others through eating together. Eating together. Got my nice little spread up here. Uh, eating together is such an amazing, amazing and significant way to, to bless other people. Okay, so if I ask you this question, you don't have to, how would you respond? You don't have to say it out loud. But how would you finish the sentence? The Son of Man came, dot, dot, dot. The Son of Man came to, maybe it's to seek and to save the lost, to, to rescue and redeem. He, there's verses that talk about he came not to be served, but to serve, to die on the cross. These are all fantastic answers. And they're all right and very true answers. But what I love is Luke 7, 34 says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> this is a fantastic verse. You see, Jesus, he came on a mission, right? We, 
He came to rescue, to redeem, to save. And that's that whole, the first answers that we had there. Those, those would be his why, his purpose, his mission. But then how he came and what he did on the way to accomplish that, the how, his method, one of them was eating a lot. Eating and drinking. That was his method. And so the question I want to ask is, what is it about eating a meal that is so significant, so significant that Jesus would spend so much time doing it? And so what I want to look at today, and I want to start out by just talking about food. Food. We love food, don't we? How many of you consider yourself a foodie? A little show of hands. Mark, for real? Foodie? Dude, invite me over. Uh, I, foodie... No, our world and our culture, we're obsessed with food, right? We love talking about food. We like comparing, like, what's the best restaurants? You know, we like sharing. Like, when you come across a new restaurant you love, you you just become an evangelist for it. You just can't help but to share. You have to go try this place out. And you get debates about things. You know, we talk about who has the best pizza. You know, like, right now, I don't know. Because for the longest time, Paige and I, we were obsessed with a place called Pizzicato. Do you guys remember this place? Oh, come on. I'm here to receive, Lord. Dude, so good. Pizzicato, uh, Paige and I, we went through a season of loss when they, when they shut down. I know it makes no sense. The best pizza place, would, you think it would stay open if it's the best. But they closed, and a part of us died. Because uh, we were there all the time. We were, it, was, it was actually kind of funny. When Pizzicato closed their doors, um, we were just kind of, we always spent so much time there. And I feel like I've had even with people at Seacoast, they're like, let's go to Pizza Go, let's go to Pizza Go. I was like funding them for several years. Uh, but we were there all the time, so much so that when they closed the doors, uh, Scott and Sam, uh, Samantha Vigil gave us a sympathy card. <laughs> and, and they said, hey, we're so sorry for your loss. I hope this helps you find healing. And it was a gift card to Blaze Pizza. <laughs> it was a very lovely thought. We felt loved, but there's nothing, you can't eat Blaze Pizza while you're thinking about your former love. So there's still a, a pizzicato-shaped hole in our heart. We're looking to fill that. So, but uh, no, we love food. And at the same time, our relationship to food can be very complicated, right? Uh, it's, it's interesting. We live in a country where cooking shows abound, where TV chefs are celebrities, and cookbooks are on the bestseller list. Yet, we cook less than ever before. Isn't that interesting? Uh, in his book, uh, it's called A Meal with Jesus, a guy named Tim Chester, he notes that Americans spend over $50 billion on dieting each year. And his, note, his comment there is that it's $50 billion spent uh, to solve the problem of food gone wrong. So it's, our relationship to food it's, can be a very complicated uh, thing. But here's the bottom line. Here's kind of like the first point I just want to point out is that we, you and I, we are made to eat. We are made to eat. And the fact that we are made to eat, it reveals profound truths about who we are and about who God is. You see, when we sit down at a table to eat, we are really, without expressing it, saying that we are admitting our mutual need. We're admitting our mutual neediness. We're admitting our dependency, that we are dependent on something in order to give us life. There's three things that the, uh, our, our need to eat reveal. I want to just cover these briefly. Number one, that the need, uh, the need to eat reveals our dependence on God. 
You see, we are created in the image of God, but unlike God, we need something from the outside of us to come inside to give us life and sustenance. We need something from the outside of ourselves in order to sustain us. I know it's easy for us to think, and it's tempting to think like, man, I don't, I don't like to need anything and, or anybody. We like to think of ourselves at times as self-sufficient. I don't need a lot of help. And you can believe that all you want, but as soon as you eat that burrito or eat that acai bowl, you are admitting your dependency on something. You're, you need something from the outside. It's also just interesting, that, like, man, how eating causes you to have to stop what you're doing, right? I, one of the things I hate is like, you're having a productive day, you're getting things done, you're working, you're just, and all of a sudden you're like, I have to eat something. I have to eat, and like, it just feels annoying at times, doesn't it? It feels, anno- it feels annoying to me. I, I, you know those little bath toys where it's like, a little, it's like a little pill and you throw it in the water and it turns into like a foam toy? You know, I wish they created food like that. <laughs> you take this little pill and it turns into like a, a turkey sandwich just <laughs> on its way down and you can just keep going. You know, our physical hunger though, our physical hunger is a reminder, a daily, ongoing reminder that we are created to feast on God's goodness and live from God's provision. So that's the first thing, uh, our dependence on God. The second thing our, our, that we are made, our need to eat reveals is that we're dependent on each other. We're dependent on each other. So unless any of us are homesteading, which I don't think any of us are doing that right now, uh, I don't think anyone watching online are currently homesteading, uh, you know, where you're just, you're providing everything on your own and doing all that stuff. Like, we rely, we rely on other people for everything. And they rely on us for, for I mean, if you just think about all, the, all that it takes to bring food to the table. I mean, I don't even think, I mean, I, I don't even know what all the whole process is. You know, the whole process of things that have to happen that to, in order for, to, for food to bring, or bring itself to our table. The, the, our modern world in many ways has, has obscured the process, right? We just don't, we don't know. We don't realize all of the, you know, the, the planting, the harvesting, the, the packaging, like the, all of that stuff that has to happen in order for us to be, enjoy, to enjoy a meal. But every meal that we eat, it represents an unfathomable and far-reaching web of dependence on others and their dependence on us. Thirdly, the need to eat reveals our dependence on creation. In his book, uh, it's called The Common Rule, author Justin Early, he says this. This is so good. This is so good. He says, we live in a web of mutual sacrifice. Whether you're eating plants or meat, every single bite signifies a moment when something died to give you life. We take that thing in and it becomes our future life. There seems to be something distinctly Christ-like about the, about the fact, about that fact, that our ongoing daily life depends entirely on the sacrifice of other life on our behalf. I love that. It's almost, it's interesting that it's almost like as if God created us to eat so that we would be reminded daily on an ongoing process, daily, of our need for him. It's almost as like there's a miniature like gospel moment happening every time we're hungry. It's a reminder of our need and his provision. Our need, his provision on repeat. And so firstly, we're made to eat. That's the, that's the, the first big point. And then secondly is that we are made to eat 
together. We're made to eat together. You see, there's something special that happens when we gather at a table. There's something significant that is happening. There's something special that is happening. Meals are full of significance. I think it was Tim Chester. He said this, few acts are more expressive of companionship than the shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. I mean, think about how much time we spend at the kitchen table or the kitchen island or around that piece of furniture. Think about all of the life and all of the relationships and all of the stories and everything that have happened around our kitchen table, our dining room table. Think about all the laughs, the laughs you've shared. Think about the tears that have uh, been shed around that simple piece of furniture. You know, as, as I was preparing this week, I just like couldn't help but to think about all of the different life and the different conversations that we've had around our table, around the, the kitchen island, just in, the, just in that area. The friendships that have been forged. There's been deep friendships been forged. There's been some crazy drama. There's been deep connection. There's been sad goodbyes. There's been honest confession. There's been countless prayers all around this shared meal at this table. You see, food, it connects us. Meals connect us. They connect us as family. It turns strangers into friends. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Something special and significant about gathering at the table for a shared meal. It's something so significant, it's kind of, it's interesting. It's probably why Jesus was known for it. In the book of Luke alone, you get the sense that Jesus is a, He's a party animal. If you're looking, if you're looking for these, like I think it's probably over ten times that Jesus is at a meal. He's he's, in, he's with people and talking to them like, at a meal. There's a, one commentator. He says this in Luke's gospel: Jesus is either going to a meal, he's either at a meal, or he's coming from one. Which is interesting. He, he, Jesus was constantly eating and drinking. And so much so that his enemies accused him of doing it excessively. At one point, the religious leaders said to him in Luke 5, it says, Okay, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. <laughs> and I love uh, Jesus' response there. I'll paraphrase it. He says, fasting is about waiting. My disciples aren't waiting right now. See, when Jesus is with you, fasting gives way to feasting. You're not waiting for anything. The thing that was most shocking about Jesus in these, in these meals was not how often he had them, but who he had them with. You know, in, that, in the culture that Jesus lived, uh, meals were seen as sacred. I know it's hard for us to imagine that, you know, as we eat on the go, throwing down tacos and curly fries from Jack in a Box with our, driving with our knees. You know, the, the, the significance of a meal can be lost on us. But in Jesus' culture, eating, it was a big deal. Who you ate with was a big deal. Meals, meals were a sign of friendship, of unity, of intimacy. It was really an affirmation of someone's worth, their value, their dignity. It was an indicator of who you loved and who you accepted as your own, which is probably why it was so scandalous for Jesus 
why, why the, the religious leaders were, it was so scandalous for them to see who he was eating with because of the significance of sharing a table. Who he would eat with. One example of this is the story uh, about the time that Jesus, he did this numerous times, but there was one time where Jesus, he ate with a tax collector. And although this tax collector had a really great name, Matthew, uh, he had a horrible reputation. A horrible reputation as someone who's collaborating with the enemy who was stealing from his own people, essentially, and funding the enemy. And this is the guy that Jesus has his eye on. And he specifically wants Matthew to be his disciple. And so here's Matthew's account of what went down one day. In Matthew 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why did your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he spending time with these guys, these girls? Does he know who they are? Why Why is he spending such a significant thing with these people? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, for Jesus to avoid sinners would be like a doctor avoiding sick people. A doctor that avoids sick people can't can't do their work, right? In Jesus, we we don't have a doctor who avoids the sick. We don't have a savior who avoids the sinners, but goes to them and eats with them. The apostle John, he wrote this in John 1. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son, Jesus, who is is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father, he has made him known. So check this out. Hear this. When we see Jesus, we get to see what God is up to. We get to see what God is up to by looking at Jesus and what he is doing and how he's interacting and who he's spending his time with and all of that. We get to see what God is up to as we see Jesus. And what we see is that we have a God who has done everything needed in order to bring us to the table. He's done it all. And he comes to us. See, on the cross, Jesus stood in for us so that we might be seated with him at the right hand of God. He stood in our place so that we would be seated with him. He's done it all. And so in the same way that God, uh, he didn't remain distant, he didn't remain aloof, but came down in the person of Jesus to invite us to the table, we too, as his family, we get to, we get to be what God is up to in the lives of our neighbors. We get to do the same thing. So that when people see what we're doing, they get to see what God is up to. We get to invite. We get to go near. We get to reflect God's welcome of us in the way that we welcome others. And I know that we can get suspicious. I know that we can get skeptical. Like, are we really, I mean, if, are we really accepted? Are we really, uh, do we really belong with God? I mean, has he really welcomed us? And I want to say, church, let's not believe the lie of religion 
You see, God is throwing a party. God's throwing a party. It's completely free, and all are welcome to come just as you are. And here's the thing. Religion is standing at the door of that free party trying to sell tickets and enforce a dress code. Do not be swindled by the lie of religion. If you are in Christ, you're in. Take your seat. Take your seat at his table. See, we have a father who's invited us to feast on his grace and his goodness. You know, we're not waiting around for an invite. We've been brought in. We're seated with him. Again, when the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see just how blessed we are, just how blessed we are in Christ, we are fueled and freed to live as a blessing to our neighbors. And what a blessing it is to eat together. Such an amazing, simple way to bless others. You know, we begin with prayer. We listen. We listen. We ask questions. We get curious. And a fantastic place to listen is around a table. Fantastic place. Our meals offer a divine moment, an opportunity for people to be seduced by grace into a truer and better life. I know that we think of meals. I mean, there's 21 meals. If we're eating three meals a day, 21 opportunities just hardwired, embedded into our day, into our life, that are offered this amazing moment to be reminded of these truths and to live as an expression and to invite people into that. And so here's the question I want to close with. What would our neighborhoods look like if our homes became hubs for expressing the love of Jesus by sharing a meal? I get excited thinking about that. You know, oftentimes, you know, we live in a culture where it's been, we want, I mean, we want people to be here. I'm, praise God that we are, you're here, we're here gathered on a Sunday. I love this. This is such, this is beautiful. But what an amazing opportunity for the first touch that somebody receives, or it's not the first time they maybe get to, to experience uh, God's goodness and graces, not here in this room, but around your table as you share a meal as you listen, as you talk and you just share life. So what would our neighborhoods look like if our homes became hubs for expressing the love of Jesus by sharing a meal? You know, honestly, uh, a, few, a few years ago, I was like struggling with, with wanting, I had this, I'm like, man, I really want to reach our neighbors. I really want to be, I, I want to, be involved and get to know them. I, and so, but I, honestly, I was a little bit scared to do that on my own. And I know that as a, you know, someone, you're on, a pastor on staff at a church, you're supposed to lead the way with you know, courage and like, follow me and, you know, as I follow Christ and follow my example. Come on. But I, honestly, there's just things I, I was afraid to do and nervous and like, ah, I don't know how, how to connect with this, these people. And it was such an amazing thing that our life group um, we did a neighborhood party. And it was in that moment I realized how beautiful the, the family, the body of Christ is. There's just things that a, a, other people are able to do that I can't do, and I celebrate that. And it's just an amazing thing to be like, we're a part of this putting on display and demonstrating what God has, what he has done. You know, Jesus said that the world's gonna know you by the way you love, not necessarily them, <laughs> but by the way you love one another. And I think, how is the world going to ever see that if they're not with us? 
what an amazing thing, an opportunity that we have to invite people to see and to savor, to taste and see that the Lord is good and to take, like, around a, a table. One of the biggest things I think about uh, when it comes to a meal, I mean, they, you think about the culmination of Jesus, his time with his disciples. They, you know, they end this three years around a table together. And we're going to come to that table now. You see, when Jesus, I love, uh, I can't remember who said this. I, I should have written it down, but it says, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples his forthcoming death, what it was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. And that's what we do. When we come and we take of the Lord's Supper, we are, we are reminded. We are remembering all that it took everything that, that God in Christ did in order to give us a seat at the table. I'll invite the band. You guys can start making your way up here. What I want to do right now is just, I want us to transition. I want to, to I want us, I want to invite us to, let's come to the table. Let's come to the table and again to, to partake of, of what God has done. You see, he's done it all. On the, the night that he was uh, betrayed he, with his disciples, he took the bread. And he said, this is my body given for you. This is my body given for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. You see, he gave his, himself, he gave his body for us on the cross. And what's so cool is that it's not just that he died on the cross. It's not just that Jesus died, but that we died with him. We remember that sacrifice with the, the bread, remembering his body. And the cup, the blood of the new covenant says, this is my, the cup of the new covenant. Whenever you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. You see, his blood finished it. Our forgiveness is finished. It's final. It is, we are sealed. There's no more forgiveness to be had. God is not up, Jesus is not up in heaven dying over and over and over and over again every time we sin. No, he died once, once for all. It is finished. And so when, usually when we think of, of communion, we think, man, like, am I okay? Have I, have I done enough? And I got to get right with the Lord. And am, I, am I in the right? I've had this weird week and I've been thinking these thoughts. I'm still struggling with this. That's why he died. <laughs> That's why he died. So don't, don't hesitate to come to the table. He's done everything. He's made the way for you to come freely, to come and to, to partake and to remember. Remember, it's not do this in remembrance of you and me and what we're doing for him, but do this in remembrance of him and what he's done for us. That's why we eat. That's why we drink. And so right now, the band's just gonna play and come, come, take, and eat. You can uh, grab some of the elements and then make your way back to uh, wherever you want in the room, back to your seats or, you know, together. And what, however you want to do it, uh, we're just going to just create some time and space right now for this to happen. God, thank you, Lord, for what you did for us, what you did to us, and who you are in us today. God, may we not walk away from this place thinking that you're thinking and waiting for you to bless us. God, may we just live in the present truth, present tense truth of the blessing that you have given us. God, the debt has been paid. There's nothing left 
to do except receive, <laughs> receive the gift, Lord, and live lives expressing that. So I thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for what you are doing amongst us. God, use us, Lord, to, in powerful, even in mundane ways, to express your life and your love to a world around us. We thank you that we can trust and depend on you, God, for all that you're going to do in and through us. Praise these things in your name. Amen.